Thank you, Melissa. Good morning. I'd like to invite you to open up your Bible this morning to Luke chapter 16. The title of this message is, well, we're going uh, doing a series, Money in Hell, for four weeks. Last week was the first week, and then today we're looking at the great chasm from Luke chapter 19. We'll start in verse uh, I said Luke 19, I mean Luke 16, and we'll start in verse 19 and go all the way through verse 31 today. Uh, we will go work through this passage after we read it, and then I'd like to share with you a few facts about hell. So when was the last time you heard a message about hell? Okay, when was the last time you were in a small group? And the title of the lesson and the scripture was about hell. When was the last time you were at a conference with thousands of people and the subject of hell came up on the platform? It does happen sometimes, but most often those speakers are not invited back to the next year's conference if they mention hell. Americans... If you would have taken a, a survey during the 19, early 1900s, most Americans would say, absolutely, they believe in a physical place called hell. If you took that same survey today, then the majority of Americans probably would say they do not believe in a place, a literal, physical place called hell. And had the Lord not, and I blame Him totally, prompted me to talk about this, then I certainly would not have chosen to find a passage about hell because, frankly, it terrifies me. We don't like talking about it. But the doctrine of hell has been a main doctrine of the church for over 2,000 years. And if we're not careful, then in the next few years, it will be erased from our doctrine and theology And not mentioned ever. So if you were to take uh, the library of sermons that Jesus preached, okay? And and let's say you had all those categorized and there's an index and a huge uh, library during three years, the messages, the things he talked about. If you were to just randomly pick out one of those sermons, the chances are it would be about four things that he talked about the most. God, the kingdom of God, Money and hell. So hell, Jesus referenced hell three times more often than he did heaven. Now we love heaven, don't we? I mean, amen. I'm glad you guys are excited about it. But I am. I'm excited about heaven. I cannot wait. It's going to be great. Streets of gold. Nice place to be. No more cancer. No more gnats, no more heat, no more cold. Paradise. But Jesus talked three times more often about hell than he did heaven. So let's see what he has to say. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 19. If you're with me, say word. All right, we're, we're, we're here. Verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple 
and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you are in your, in your lifetime received good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's okay with you. I'd like to just put my notes aside and let's just work through this and see what happens, okay? I apologize if if we're just kind of firing a, a broad pattern here, but hopefully we'll hit the broad side of a barn. Let's pray. Father, pray, Lord, that you would highlight your truth from this passage. God, that you would use it to speak to us. God, you would always, as you always do, be faithful to the reading of your word. God, pray that it would be cut loose, that your word would do surgery on our hearts and our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's two purposes that I hope that through focusing on this passage that would come from it. So you say, well, why should I pay attention to what we're about to talk about? Number one, that the people on their way to hell would be warned, repent, receive Christ, and not go to hell. But number two, that all the people that are saved and headed to heaven would catch a burden for the things that God has a burden for. That we would be woken up out of our slumber and care about what God cares about. So let's work through this. Verse 19, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and was feasted sumptuously every day. The context for the scripture is that uh, the Pharisees thought if you had money, then obviously you were right with God. 
if you had blessing on your life, if you were in good health, if you had money, then obviously you were okay with God. And so Jesus was, was changing the narrative. Jesus was basically saying, it doesn't matter how much money you have, if you're rich or if you're poor, going to heaven is not dependent upon those things. Going to heaven is only dependent on your faith in Jesus Christ. The rich man had purple. Purple was a, a royalty color. It's the most mentioned color in all the Bible. So if you have purple on today, then you have the most biblical color you could say. It's a good color. Also, the Bible says he had fine linen. That probably meant that he had on linen undergarments. You could say this rich man had on the most expensive underwear that money could buy. I'm trying to find humor somewhere in this passage because there's not a whole lot. There's not a lot, okay? We joke about hell probably way too often. And friend, I assure you, it's not a place you want to go. Nor do you want any of your friends going there. He feasted. I mean, he was, he was happily eating. Verse 20. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Now, this is not Lazarus who Jesus rose from the dead. This is another man named Lazarus. The word Lazarus means the, the man who is helped by God. To be helped by God is what his name means. And so this poor man, he was desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, moreover even the dogs came and licked his sores. Now this is not your, your snickerdoodle or your uh, labradoodle kind of dogs. These were just your community dogs. They were just ran wild and kind of ate everybody's scraps. Just like you would see today in the third world country. Now it's easy to read through this passage and say, well, this rich man ought to help that poor man. Well, think about the rich man. We assume he wasn't a nice guy. But what if he was a pretty nice guy? I mean, what if you went home today and you had a a homeless person who was hungry sitting outside your house near your mailbox? What would you do? Well, hopefully many of us would invite the person in our home and feed them, help them out. But a lot of us probably would call the cops, tell them to leave. But at least this rich man allowed this guy to come and sit at his gate. But the man died. The poor man died and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. So there's a lot of questions about Abraham's side, Abraham's bosom. What is this talking about? Well, this is talking about where Abraham is, and Abraham is in heaven. So the poor man died, and immediately, by the way, he was carried by the angels. You see, when you die, people die, they go to one to two destinations. They go to heaven, or they go to hell, the Bible teaches. There's no temporary place, there's no purgatory, there's no someplace you go hang out and And wait a while. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. One of two destinations. Jesus told the man on the cross, he says, Today, present tense, today you will be with me in paradise. So immediately the angels come and they escort you to one of two destinations. The rich man also died and he was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He called out 
Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. You see, hell is a place of suffering. You say, Pastor, do you believe in a literal hell? Absolutely. Do you know that Jesus mentioned the fire of hell over 20 different times? So why do we believe that it's a literal place? Because Jesus taught there was a literal place. He said, if you, if you can just send Lazarus to come and, and to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and, and you, there's a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. So then look what, so he had good memory in hell. Do you know that your memory is going to work great in hell? Probably better than it works now. And you'll be able to remember all the things back on earth, your life. And so then he says, okay, well, I beg you, uh, Abraham, if you will send Lazarus to my father's house, because I have five brothers and I want to warn them about this place called hell. So this person in hell, he was praying. He, he was crying out. And on his prayer list, there were five brothers that he was concerned about who were headed to hell. I ask you and I, who's on our prayer list that we believe is going to hell? Do we care? You say, well, I don't like thinking about hell. I don't like thinking about hell either. And so we get uh, uncomfortable thinking about it, and so we just avoid it. And that's human nature. And it's, it's this out of sight, uh, out of mind kind of place, right? So this morning you probably haven't thought about penguins in Antarctica, but the reality is they're down there hanging out, eating fish, swimming, sitting on eggs, doing something. But we hadn't thought about it this morning, but guess what? Does that mean it's not, they're not real? No, they're real. You probably haven't thought about Australia this morning, but it's down there, land down under. Australia, massive continent, people doing their thing. You probably haven't thought about Japan this morning, but it's still there. You probably haven't thought about Pluto, but it's there. It's a real place. We don't know if it's a planet or not, but it's real. It's something. It's there. It's a real place. Just because you don't see it or think about it doesn't mean it's not real. And hell is a very real place with an address. You say, where is it? I don't know. It could be in our galaxy. And it's invisible to us. It's hidden from us. It could be outside of our... It could be another dimension. I don't know. But it's very real. Heaven and hell. You say, well, I don't want it to be real. Friend, I don't want it to be real either. But it is real. God is, we sing about how great God is, did we not? He's great and He's holy and He's perfect. And the Bible says, the Old Testament says that sin, God will not let the guilty go unpunished. 
So there has to be a substitution. There has to be a payment, a price. Let's see what happens in verse 29. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He says, No father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So the man in hell says, if, if somebody will come back from the dead, then it will help them believe. Well, somebody did come back from the dead, and his name's Jesus. Okay? And so what, what Abraham is saying is that if they're not going to listen to the Moses and the prophets, which, by the way, was the Old Testament, which was the Word of God, if they're not going to hear the Word of God, carried along by the Holy Spirit, then they will not believe even if they see a dead man rise from the grave. There's people in this room today, if a dead man came up out of the graveyard, walked down the street, walked in this door, stood on this stage, and smelled terrible, and just walking bones, right here, there's people that still will not repent of lifestyle sin and receive Jesus to be their Savior. So some facts about hell. We've already talked about there's two locations. We talk about uh, we go there immediately when we die. It's a constant place of suffering. We understand that just because life is good now does not mean that life's going to be good for you when you die. Do we understand this? The rich man, he, he was doing well. We understand that from this passage and many others, and I'll say this is the truth, the thought about hell. And you Bible scholars are going to wear me out, but let me explain it. Good people go to hell. Good people go to hell. Did you know that? Now, the Bible says that there is none good. Not even one. There is none good, there is none who seek after God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So compared to the Lord, absolutely there is none good, no, not one. But compared to other people, there's some pretty good people that are going to hell. What do you mean by that? Well, they're nice people, there's nice men and women, they're nice guys, they're, they're kind, they, they do good things for people, and they, they donate money, and they help poor people, and they help... People that are suffering and they spend their time serving. But if they do not repent of a lifestyle of sin and receive the Son, then according to the Bible, they will spend an eternity in a place called hell. I know, it's difficult, isn't it? Another thought, fact about hell. People have good theology in hell. People have good theology. It, it all makes sense. They have a, a perspective where they realize that the Lord God Almighty is, the, is the, in fact, the sovereign ruler of the universe. They can see it clearly. The Bible says that every knee will bow down to the Lord Jesus. Every person on the planet, every person in Hollywood, Every person in the big city, every person out in the middle of nowhere, 
Every nation, every knee will bow. Another fact about hell. People in hell had good intentions. Did you know that? People in hell right now, they had good intentions. They'd come to church Sunday after Sunday and, yeah, I, I think I'm going to get saved one day. That's a good idea. I need to go to heaven. And so I, I, I'm going to do that. And, you know, nobody, most people probably do not plan on going to hell. So they had good intentions. Yeah, I think I want to repent. I think I want to receive the Son. But they never got around to it. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation for you. Maybe you've never received Christ. Today is the day that you receive the Son. Not tomorrow, not next Sunday. Today. This is your day, friend. You can come, receive Christ, and be set free. You can sing hallelujah and you can dance all the way home. Today is the day. Good intentions. The path, the road paved to hell is filled with good intentions. So if you're headed there, and you know that you never received Christ, today's your day. You know, a lot of times in Southern Baptist churches, and probably most churches, denominations all over America, you know, uh, we're all about fire insurance. Oh, got to go sprinkle the baby, got to go to baby dedication, and we got to make sure we raise our kiddo in the church, and, and uh, we got to have some fire insurance so we can go to heaven. But yet we're going to live our life however we want to. You know, I'll go and get saved. I'll walk the aisle and I'll go get baptized. And then, then I'm going to go do my life and live my best life now. So I'll get some fire insurance. Friend, that's not how salvation works. God is not in the fire insurance business. He's in the life-changing business. And He can change your life today. He said, Pastor, I've messed up. I've got a life filled with all kind of mess. And I've got myself twisted and turned. And I, I'm, on, I'm addicted to three different drugs. And I'm addicted to alcohol. And I'm, and I'm struggling with pornography every single day, all day. And, and my marriage is in a wreck. Or I've already ruined my marriage. And, and my kids don't like me. And my boss at work hates me. And, and we don't, you know, my coworkers don't like me because I, I never show up on time. And, and yada, yada, yada. Friend, God can pull you out of the pit today. He can pluck you right up. You just got to reach out to Him. You just got to call upon the name of the Lord. And the Bible says you will be saved. You don't save yourself. He comes and He rescues you. That's why He talked about hell. He doesn't wish for any to go there. He wishes for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. You say, well... What about my friend that, that I don't know if they've ever received Christ? Well, let me tell you this. You don't know that. You don't know that. All it takes, I was explaining to somebody last night. All it takes is repentance, 
and faith in the Son. And they just looked at me, man, can it be that simple? Absolutely. Because the cross was that real and that powerful and the blood of Jesus was that holy. Repentance and faith. You receiving the life of Christ. So there's some people that they do at the last minute, they call upon the name of the Lord and they're saved. And sometimes it's when they're a young person or they're, uh, they're a teenager. And then, and then maybe they do live the rest of their life in a backslidden spiritual state, but I don't think that's the norm. When you come and know God, when He gives you a new heart, and He puts His Spirit inside of you, you cannot continue to live like the world. You just can't do it. You're just miserable. And you can't stay there. You cannot stay where you are and follow Jesus. So a lot of times an evidence of salvation is, is your life changed? Because if your life never, ever changed, then you probably haven't met the same Jesus that the rest of us have. Because when God gives you a new heart, you, you don't just keep cussing like a sailor. You don't do that. Because the Lord's inside of you saying, hey, that's not a good idea. That's not, that's, that's sinful. You don't hate people. You love people. The fruits of the Spirit begin to bubble up out of your life. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control. A lost person doesn't have any of those things. Some of you know the actor uh, Stephen Baldwin. You know who I'm talking about. He played in the the early 90s show uh, Young Riders or something like that. Y'all remember that cowboy show? No? You don't remember that? Remember, we watch westerns in my house, so I know all about it. Stephen Baldwin, he uh, was a Hollywood actor and and just lost as he could be. And all through the 90s. and he, he married a Brazilian lady. And so a sweet lady. And nice couple. They loved people. And they were living the dream. And so this, this lady, after they had children, this lady named Augusta came to live with them. A Brazilian lady. They kind of put out an application down in Brazil. And, and so this lady who was a Christian in Brazil saw it on the billboard at their church. And so... She made the phone call and, and she began to pray about going to America to be the, the housekeeper nanny for this couple in Hollywood. And so she's in her small group Bible study, which all Christians should be around other believers. And so she's in her small group and, and she mentions this opportunity. And, and there was a pastor that was in that small group and he began to, he prophesied over her life. And he says, Augusta, I believe God is calling you to go to America and to win this couple to Jesus, share the gospel with them, lead them to the Lord, and then this couple is going to be used for ministry. So she said, okay. So she went. And so she goes, and she begins to work, and she begins to take care of the kids, and she begins to pray every day for their salvation, and she didn't see any fruit. So she would just begin to sing all the time, sing about the Lord, and and so finally, after six months of this, Stephen Baldwin's wife asked her, Augusta, why do you sing all the time? And Augusta just burst out laughing. laughing. And uh, she said, you, you've, been, you've come here to, to help our family and to clean, clean our house, and, and why do you sing? And Augusta just began to laugh and laugh. And she said, I don't think I said anything funny. 
what's so funny? And she says, what's funny is you think that I've come to America to clean your house and to watch your kids. But I've come to America to tell you about Jesus because you're going to receive Christ and you're going to be involved in ministry. <laughs> so then Stephen Baldwin's wife thought, well, we're about to have to let this lady go because she's nuts. So she goes to the garage and she tells Steve, he's working on a car and she says, hey, let me tell you what Augusta just told me. He said, what? She tells me that the whole reason that she's here is not to help us out clean our house and watch our kids. The whole reason she's here is that God sent her to tell us the good news about Jesus and she believes that we're going to become born again Christians and be involved in ministry. And he said, what? In my house? This is what she said? This is my house. And so he just laughed it off. Well, for the next year, Augusta would take Stephen Baldwin's wife through the scripture and pray for her and share the gospel. And she didn't receive Christ for a whole year. Ended up, Augusta went back to Brazil and uh, one, one Sunday, Stephen Baldwin's wife went to church, received Christ, heard the gospel, got saved. She goes home. I want to read to you what she says to her husband. She says, honey, we need to sit down. Now, he's a Hollywood actor, and he thought, uh-oh. Here we go. She says, we have been in Hollywood, and we've made millions of dollars, been in fancy places, hung out with movie stars. But I can tell you that after tonight, I know what I'm called to do going forward. And that is to do everything that I can to seek and follow Jesus. And then she, she looks at him, and she says, I don't know what you're going to do, but that's what I'm going to do. And so then the next few months, he's got a new wife. She's acting different. She's acting funny and strange. And she begins to read the Bible in the morning times and at night times. She begins to pray. She begins to talk different. Even her eyes look different. Something's different. He's just really kind of getting weirded out about this. He's still in Hollywood making millions of dollars. And then 9-11 happened. And he realized life is short. And he began to ask spiritual questions. And long story short, Stephen received Christ and was saved. And then helped uh, with the Lewis Palau Ministries. They began to do a skateboard ministry all over the world. and Led many thousands to Christ. And so that prophecy came true. Those two people received Christ and became born-again believers and now they're involved in ministry. You say, why do I share that story with you? Because if Stephen Baldwin, who was a heathen, can receive Christ and be saved and be involved in ministry, then so can you and so can I. God is in the life-changing business. And so the two purposes of, of this text, that I believe, is to, to warn those that are on their way to hell that today can be the day of salvation for you. That you can come and receive Christ, receive Jesus to be your Savior. And then number two, that all of the believers, and probably this may be just as much or more of the reason that we're in this text, is because 
well, we just like to do our thing, don't we? And it's out of sight, out of mind, and, and I don't know if we're burdened for the loss. And, and I'm at the top of the list. I mean, we really do we care? That people who don't, do not know Christ are headed for hell. And we have the only gospel that can save them. Do we care? Are we burdened? I think we're just going through the routine, most of us. And I'm telling you, I'm at the top of the list. May God shake us and wake us up through the power of His Spirit. May our altar be filled with tears. I don't know a lot of the history of the coast, but it just seems like to me that there's just a stiff spirit sometimes. And there's not a lot of brokenness. And maybe we just don't go to the altar. It's not anything supernatural about the altar. It's just a symbolic of, hey, I'm calling on God. I don't care what anybody thinks about it. I'm just seeking God's face, and I'm going to pray for my neighbors, and I'm going to pray for the lost. You can do that right in your seat. You don't have to come forward. But until we get so in tune with God, and until we begin to have a burden for lost people, and until we are obedient to seek to have gospel conversations to share with them the salvation, then we're not going to see people, many people, come to know Jesus. Not going to happen. God's primary method is to use people, His people, to take the good news of the gospel for them to be saved. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. I think it's clear from Scripture and in our own experience, it's not about what we bring to the table. We just need to, God's just looking for an obedient heart that He can use. So we're about to sing a song. I have decided to follow Jesus. And the truth is, is that many people are going to walk out of here, you're going to hear this message, and, and you're going to be mad. And you're going to think things like, oh, that, these Baptists talk about hell. Or whatever. And, and we're going to have to decide if we're going to follow Jesus. There's a line in the song, that though none go with me, I still will follow and you've got to decide that for your own life. Your mom and dad can't make that decision for you. Your grandparents. Nobody's going to make you follow Jesus. That's not the kind of God that He is. He, in His sovereignty, He's allowing you daily to take up your cross and follow Him. He's a good God. He's an awesome God. And the reason many people are not going to come to faith is because you think your view of God is skewed. You think God's just this grandpa in the sky that's here to give you stuff. Or, or, or to throw lightning bolts at you. And that's not who He is. He's a loving, patient God. And that's why Jesus talked about hell, because He didn't want anybody to go there. That's why we have the gospel. Jesus came. God put on skin. And, and we, when you receive the gospel, you receive the death, burial, and, and resurrection of Jesus. And you receive His life. So that you don't have to live your best life now. You live the life of Jesus now.
He lives his life through you. Great difference. Oh, I'm going to try hard to serve God every day. No. You, don't, you, you die to yourself and let Christ come and live his life through you. And really, you don't have to do anything. You see, that's too simple. I know, right? It's amazing. To surrender. Let none go with me. Lord, I'll follow you. I'll take up my cross and I'll follow you. He is worthy. He is worthy of our lives. I trust that God's spoken to you in a specific way this morning and that you wouldn't just go through the motions. That God would burden your heart for every street in Bay St. Louis and Waveland, for every house, for every home, for every child, every adult, every senior adult. There are so many senior adults in Bay St. Louis who do not know Jesus. Who's going to reach them? We reach people that we work with, we play with, that we eat with. And so as we go about, we need to be thinking about who's God putting in our path? Who's God putting before me to pray for, to love them, to to point to Jesus? And if nothing else, just put them in your car and drive them to our church campus. I know that's a terrible way to do it, but sometimes, I mean, if you're rescuing them from hell, C.T. Studd said, some wish to live within the sound of a chapel bell. But he said, but I would rather live my life at a rescue shop within a yard of hell. In other words, if they're going to hell, they're going to have to go through us. If they're going to hell, it's not going to be because we didn't try to warn them. It's not going to be because we didn't try to help them. It's not going to be because we did absolutely nothing. 